You're listening to KXOB, Ocean Beach, where Constancy is the spice of life. Welcome to Beach Cop Detectives, a Terriers podcast, episode four, Fuster Clinic. I'm Randy Lair from the TV Dudes, and with me on this episode is Ashley Moreno from OneOfUs.net and writer for the Austin Chronicle. Hello. So you and I have talked a little bit about terrors because we both were at the ATX Television Festival. We have. We yes. have. I think this is a common thread that I'm the one who put you onto terriers. <laughs> I think all my guest hosts have been the ones like, you should watch terriers. It's true. And I have to admit that I was one of those lost souls mm-hmm. who had uh, who not only had never seen it, but had never heard of it. And then when I looked it up, yeah. because you recommended it, I didn't know what it was going to be about like you're, everybody you're else. You're like, wow, Randy's really into dog shows. <laughs> yeah. I actually was expecting it to be something like The League. Oh, Because yeah. they're sitting there by like a cooler and there's mm-hmm. two dudes and there's a dog. I don't know. For me, I thought it was going to be sort of like a a nerd sports right. kind of show. And um, while I love those, I was pleasantly surprised because it is fucking amazing. Yeah. Well, and yeah, it's <laughs> it's a show. And it's funny. Even now, the marketing, they haven't quite nailed down what it is. Although it is a lighter show. It does have some comedy to it. But it's also got plenty of sort of drama, especially this episode sort of ping pongs back and forth. When you were talking about wanting to do this podcast and you're reaching out to people and everybody had an episode they wanted to pick, I wasn't really sure. And then the fourth episode is what was left. Yes. And I was like, oh, yeah, what did happen in the fourth episode? I went back. I was like, this is a phenomenal episode. This is a it's, really good episode. It's a huge pivot point for like several, but including the main story arc. Yeah. After the first episode where we had we met Lindis and we had mm-hmm. him set up and Mickey Gosney and all his characters. Those were mostly dropped for, for episodes two and three. They they, yeah. ref, they touched on it in episode two, but mostly episode two and three were sort of standalone case of the week kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they were sort of, they were like establishing shots. Yeah, they were like they were like the helicopter flyover of yeah. of, a, of the show for sure. And this one gets back to the Linda plot in a big way. And more than that, though, it gets to the story of Steph. His sister, who has been building in the background, even though we didn't know it until the tail end of episode three, where we see this woman climb into his ceiling, and we're just like, "What? What just happened?" Which that is fabulous mm-hmm. because I also thought that maybe he was losing it a little bit. To be fair, he's going through a lot of emotional stuff. Um, you you thought it, he was actually just like he was literally like forgetting that he put empty milk cartons in this fridge. I mean, I thought that more likely than there was a woman living in the attic. Yeah. Well, that's not where your mind goes. <laughs> it's not it's, where it's your mind goes. It's just not where your mind goes the first place. Yeah. And what a wonderful character she is, too. Oh, she's fantastic. I really, she just adds to every every scene. So I, I And I really loved her in this episode. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into Steph. She's played by Karina Logue, who is Donald Logue's actual sister. And she's worked steadily since Terriers. Like, she's been in a variety of things. Most recently, she's on Scream, the TV show. Mm-hmm. But she's done a lot of work since then and she's just the two of them have that chemistry just like hank and Britt have that chemistry uh-huh. that came from them having a real relationship like the two of them were really good friends you can tell that the real brother sister chemistry really informs that relationship we start off with hank looking at his alarm clock and counting three two one now like he's gonna go to sleep any second and I don't know if you've been there. I've definitely been there. Oh, yeah. I uh, Sleeping for me is a recent thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, as, as you and some of my closer friends know, I'm only mildly neurotic. But when I was younger, <laughs> I was even more so. And so, uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't sleep a lot when I was young. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> I've been very used to the whole thing. We look at the clock. You're like, oh, if I go to sleep right now, I will get two hours of sleep. It'll be perfect. Yeah, that whole thing really resonated. 
you know, gets up, wanders around his house. I, I know I've done that. The, the insomnia was so relatable. And the little mousetrap is there. The cheese is there. And he's griping about how his mouse is a cheese snob. <laughs> Which, you know, there are some of those in San Diego. Oh, sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. The hipster rats. <laughs> oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. They don't eat the, they only eat free range cheese. Yeah. Uh, I should go back to go to the credits because this episode is directed by Michael Offer. Like many of the directors, this is the only Terry O's episode he directed. I actually think this is one of my favorite directed episodes. There's some yeah. really nice shots in this one, especially some traveling shots. When they're driving along, you know, they, they do really nice shots of the, of the truck driving along the highway or driving down this little stretch of road, and they really give you the sense of these guys being in this place. Yeah, even uh, when they go over to Lindis's house, that yeah. shot from above the staircase is there mm-hmm. kind of coming in, and uh, she's sort of saying, well, yeah, it's hot in here because we can't afford to pay the air. Yeah. Like, and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, when, and when they go into the bar to find mm-hmm. Mickey's buddy, and it's like the shot underneath the stalls, and they show the feet. There's some really clever direction in here. This guy is sort of a gun for hire. He's done so many shows, usually one or two episodes. But after this, he directed The Unit, Chicago Code, and Last Resort, all with Sean Ryan. So clearly Sean Ryan liked his work. (laughs) Uh, The episode is written by, as always, Ted Griffin and staff writers Leslie Headland and John Worley. But John Worley, initially the staff writer, is credited on this episode. This one may be more specifically his episode. And I don't know what that says, but it definitely is an arc episode. So you had the heavy lifting being done by the people involved. Involved in the show regularly. Yeah, and it is amazing everything that they're able to weave into this one episode pretty seamlessly. Yeah. And I mean, that goes straight to like the writers. I mean, there are beautiful shots, I mean, of course, throughout it. And, you know, all the actors do a fabulous job, but just to be able to establish so much Mm -hmm. um, in this this single episode, and it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like sometimes when you're watching a show and they've kind of established the characters and now they want to get to it, you're like, oh, okay, this is when this is where the rubber hits the pavement. Now we're going to do it. But that wasn't the case with this. You just sort of woke up and the shit had hit the fan. Yeah. That's one thing I really like about this episode is that everything is going, we've got the Linda story, we've got the story with the sister, there's even a little bit of Katie and Britt thrown in there, Mm -hmm. especially with how Katie reacts to Steph, and what that says about about Hank's relationship with Katie, that Katie knows about Steph, but Britt doesn't, which sort of indicates that he's known Katie longer. Which is interesting. And I, I don't actually remember, even as much as I've watched Terriers, if that's dealt with what, how Hank knew Katie before Britt knew Katie. Yeah, I don't know either. Although, so are, are we talking about other episodes as well? So we try are... to keep it somewhat spoiler free and okay. we'll talk about spoilers at the end. Okay. Given how Britt met Katie, yeah. I wonder if that is also how Hank met Katie, but on the other side of it. I think it's possible. And again, it's all inferred. I don't know if that's referred to in one of the later episodes. And I couldn't be more vague. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a great quote early on uh, when Britt comes to pick up Hank and he's talking about having raccoons or ghosts. And Britt's like, you know what they say about raccoons, right? They're not tidy. It's just, there's <laughs> such a great line delivery. It's a, it's a funny line anyway, but his delivery and how amused he looks at himself is just so perfect. It's, it's such a great thing for Michael Raymond James. So. No, it's fabulous. And then I like it later when he's trying to tell Hank the joke. So yes. they have decided to go and investigate the site where this resort is being built. Mm-hmm. It's also the introduction to the man in the beige suit, Yes, um, I believe, which is going to be a big staple, part of the main story arc of, of this uh, season. Yes. We'll just call it the season. The season. <laughs> um, and, he, and he takes another stab at, a, at a telling a joke and yeah. falls a little flat. Yeah, well, and Hank has no interest. Yeah. It's yeah, not that Hank distracted. doesn't get it. Or I'm, just, I'm not sure if Hank is messing with him or if Hank legitimately was not listening, like half listening to him. Yeah. But it is a great joke, and, and I'm going to play that real quick. Yeah, hey, I heard a new joke today. You want to hear it? Yeah, go for it. 
So two old dudes are sitting on a park bench, right? Yeah. First old guy says the second old guy. I bet I can guess your age, right? Yeah. Second old guy says, no way. 100 bucks says you can't. And then first old guy says, you're on. It's a bet. But the only thing I need you to do in order to tell your age is you got to take your pants off, right? Right. So the second old guy thinks nothing of it, drops from it. All right, so the first old guy takes the second old guy's balls in his hands, and he's weighing them, he's cuffing them, he's yeah. shaking them around this side, that side, right? He says, you're 78 years old. The guy says, that's amazing. How the hell did you do that? He says, ah, he told me yesterday. Okay, keep going. No, that's, that's it. Did you, did you miss the funny part? I always miss the funny part with you. I'm pretty sure I told it right. I love that Hank basically just looks at, yeah, go on, keep going. <laughs> really, really great. And again, I'm not 100% sure whether Hank is messing with him or if he just wasn't fully listening. Yeah, yeah. He's, well, I mean, he's he's caught the thread of an actual mystery. And I think the investigator and him just can't help but follow what is actually the point. Right. He's kind of focused on some other things. <laughs> yeah, he's like, tell me, tell me ball jokes later. <laughs> so they start off in the diner. It mm-hmm. seems that a lot of the time their cases happen to them at the diner. Yep. And this is another example. They've got more of those great background actors, the waitress that they're so familiar and friendly with. And the guy who, there's a line, it's just one extra line. This guy's not even credited. But he's like, rich folk incoming, posture everyone. (laughs) It's such a great line. It's so well delivered. And that guy was just an extra. That's just the one thing. And that's that attention to detail is one of the things that's really well done here. We've talked about in the past episodes that the extras in the bar, there's like this whole story in the in the diner of all these characters that we don't see. They're just they're built up in the background. Yeah, it does a lot for this episode in particular as like little opportunities to kind of breathe because there is so much going on. You know, it's obviously those sorts of things make a really rich world, but they also, those little tiny pops of comedic relief really give you a chance to kind of gather yourself before the narrative goes off in this crazy direction, which it does in in a few different crazy directions in this episode. So yeah, just quality penmanship. Yes. Quality penmanship. Well, that's, and this is our first meeting with Josephine Lindis, Uh who is played by Jackie Debaton or Debaton. I'm not sure which how you pronounce, but she is also going to recur in Manifest Destiny, which is the next episode. Mm -hmm. And she's got a variety of credits as well. But she is the person who comes to hire them, gives them a big wad of cash. Like every time they see a Lindis, they get a bunch of money to go see Lindis in county. I love that the the back and forth between Brit and Hank throughout this episode, but it's starting right here where Brit's really suspicious. Yep. And Hank, who's been in kind of a funk is now suddenly really happy because this guy that he wanted to screw over is miserable and needing to come for him for help. Yeah, and I I think it's kind of twofold. So as I was watching that, I sort of, I was trying to figure out too, like why does Hank get so happy? And yeah. then afterwards, why is he so eager to do what Lindis wants? Yeah. And I kind of came to the conclusion you did. I think it's that. Yeah. I think he's so happy to finally see some justice being served to this guy. Right. Um, and of course, they kind of take the piss out of him when they go visit him. Oh, but man, also, yeah. I think Hank is only really happy when he's solving a mystery. And oh, he I think can't help himself. He sees this now as a real, you know, so far they've been doing kind of little side jobs, but that's not what he wants. You know, he wants a big, he was a detective before he fucked that up. That's true. Um, and so now he's got something falling on his plate and Brit, they're joking about it, but also Brit makes a good point that they could have just walked away from all of this. Justice yeah. would have been served and that would have been the end of it. But Hank is willing to risk kind of losing what they, uh, 
what they set up. We'll leave it at that yeah. <laughs> so far for the opportunity to kind of follow a cool mystery. That's a good point. I hadn't actually really considered it. But yeah, Hank is Hank gets that mystery in him. And there's a bit of a personal. I mean, it's, his friend got killed. Yeah. And so there is a personal stake in it. But also, yeah, it's a good way for him to distract himself from all the crazy that's going on in his life, whether it's. You know, his ex getting remarried or him buying the house or as we're about to learn about his sister. He's got all this crazy in his life he didn't want to deal with. And having a mystery lets him throw that part of himself, the part that's really good and really handles everything well, Mm -hmm. the detective part, at it and sort of deflect from everything else. That's a good point. Yeah, you know, he comes across as such a warm person, and I obviously value uh, comedy chops very highly. But I think (laughs) depending on who you are, his kind of cerebral work as a detective is kind of the best part of him. And certainly right now when he's in such a broken place. So if you try to go to to your safety zone for him, it's kind of ironically this this sketchy place. That's one of the things that we've talked about in the previous episodes, too, is that Hank lies to and endangers the people around him constantly and he will continue to do so without getting into spoilers he's going to get people killed yeah but when he's solving a mystery that's yeah that's that's hank at his best Mm -hmm. that's when he's doing his job it's just that he's not so careful about the collateral damage even when he's doing his job for sure and to a kind of true neutral sort of character level and it's something that later on gretchen really calls him out for that she just that he breaks all the relationships in his life and and it's obsession. And you know, it's probably that kind of obsession you have to have if you want to be a good detective, but it's a very lonely place to be. But I love when they go and talk to Lindis. (laughs) Yes. And there's again, great direction on this because Lindis is talking about this conspiracy. He's like, his sex tape was leaked. His attorney recused himself. Like, he is screwed. (laughs) And he's talking about the conspiracy. They happily remind him of that. There's this great line. Hey, Britt. I woke up this morning, there was a real sweet smell in the air. And I thought maybe it's the old lady next door baking cinnamon rolls, but it wasn't. You know what I was smelling? What? Freedom. (laughs) Yeah, and they come back from that, and he's talking about the conspiracy and all the stuff that's Mm -hmm. going on. There's just this nice little touch, whereas he's talking about... Everybody's out to get him, and he doesn't know who he's safe from. They pan over and do a shot of the guards walking around. Yeah. And it's just this this nice little visual. Like, there's never any follow-up to it directly, but there's this visual implication that what if one of these guys is on the take? Wonderful director um, move there. It's really then that I started to think, okay, yeah, this guy's paranoid. Yeah, he's got a sex tape of him banging a 19-year-old out there. That sucks. We all been there. Yeah, I'm sorry, what? Who hasn't? Who hasn't? <laughs> but when I end up in the drunk tank sure. with my weird sex tape, I'm not looking at the guards because there's no conspiracy right. around my mistake. And so that's when you're really like, okay, that omniscient third party yeah, narrator is telling, is telling us there's you, something here. no, there's something here. And, and so then it's well done. The rest of that, there's these tight close ups on Hank and Britt and Lindis that really are showing Lindis for all that he's, you know, kind of a shitbag. He's very sincere in wanting his wife and his son out of danger. And again, the director is telling us, hey, we know this guy's the bad guy, but we are showing you that this is legit. We are showing you that this guy really does legitimately care about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think that was that really sells that whole moment. The, the next thing we see, they're driving away and Britt and Hank are discussing, what do we do here? Like, Britt thinks they're being set up. Britt thinks he's full of shit. Yeah. And, I mean, any rational person would believe Britt. Yeah. They'd be like, "We're that guy's going to rot in prison. They have a recording of that conversation. We're yeah. out the fucking door. Yeah. But as Hank points out, even if they even if they recant their story or renege their story, and there's discussion about that whole thing, it, he's still screwed. 
Yeah. He's, it's still over for him. So he doesn't need to set them up. And also, like you say, Hank is on the mystery. That's why he does it. I like that they go to Gustafson. Yes. I love Gustafson. He's one of my favorite characters. Because Gustafson's, one of Gustafson's powers is that he sees through Hank's bullshit immediately. Mm-hmm. And half the time, he's just amused by it. Like, I feel like 50% <laughs> of the time, Gustafson is annoyed that Hank is doing what he's doing. He's really pissed at him. And the other 50%, he's amused that he's trying to get this over on him. Well, yeah, because, I mean, we all have those friends that we've been perpetually apologizing for. Yes. And this is like the detective level of that, where he's like, God fucking damn it, man. <laughs> like, you're your own worst enemy. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, sometimes you kind of need that in your life when, when you're yeah. on the straight and narrow. And I think that's what Hank kind of provides for him. And yeah. they're obviously very close still. Yeah, I mean, Gustafson does seem to be... He, he wants Hank to succeed. Yeah. He just doesn't think he's going to. And, I mean, why would he? No. Yeah, he's <laughs> he seen Hank at his absolute worst. Sense. They get the effects from Mickey Gosney. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get it from Reynolds, Gustafson's yeah. inoffensive, bland background partner. Nothing more to be said about that on this episode. But it is... You're going to be... it If you're watching Terrace for the first time, Keep your eye on Reynolds, because Reynolds seems like this guy who's not going to amount to anything, and there's a big surprise coming. The, Underrated. Underrated. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> the, uh, the personal effects that they get, they start, they start talking about how much the bond is going to be. Well, Britt starts talking about how much the bond is yep. going to be. And Hank already knew. Hank had already put it. He put it together almost instantly. Oh, yeah. He wants us to steal the money so he can get out on bond. Mm-hmm. And so he's been weighing whether or not that's worth doing while Britt was catching up to him. Right. And I mean, to be fair, that's not really Britt's having this idea of bond and how much bond is and everything isn't the forefront of his mind like it right. would be at Hank's. But I did like that we got to see because so far Britt's been the quick witted sidekick who yeah. he has his talents. That's one of the other things I love about this film is that we get to see how much yeah. uh, Britt brings to the table. And yes, we'll talk we about do. that in a moment. Yeah. But I really liked being able to see that, you know, he is a clever dude. Yeah. Um, he is a super clever dude. Hank would be lots of that. So that was fun. Yeah, that, that he's not dumb. He's just not as up on certain things as Hank is. Yeah, totally. And yeah, like you say, when we get to the heist, his skills come very much into play. Yeah, nails there, it. There's still an information gathering mode at this point. So we have a couple things. One is that they go to the bar where Hank used to drink. Uh-huh. And there's the whole uh, ossifer where the drunk, drunk guys call cops. <laughs> yeah. And then they talk to a drinking buddy of Mickey's who uh, the, the actor is Jonathan Schmuck. I love that he's credited as informant. <laughs> Interesting detail about this guy. He, he's a writer and actor, and he both wrote and acted on Blossom. Like oh, it makes such sense. Yeah. I look at that guy and I think to myself, that is a whiskey drinking, blossom riding, hat wearing <laughs> fan right there. But that puts him on to uh, Bateman Security. Yeah. And he tells this sort of kind of chilling story about Mickey and the see what he saw. And no doubt in our mind, this is what got Mickey killed. So Mickey's a night guy, right? He walks rounds around the, uh, the site where they're building that resort. Wait, 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 wait. Mickey was working security at the Montague? Yeah. So one night, these trucks come in, right? Full of guys in these suits, you know, like an E.T. They're all uh, sealed in. Mickey asks his boss, what the hell? Apparently they don't like that. Next day he gets camp. And the next week, his daughter calls him up, says she's in trouble. After that, he starts to watch his back. So all is not well at the Montague. No, no. And from there, they're going to go over to the Montague site, which is another great set. 
one of the things I've been saying on this podcast is how great they are at using the natural light of San Diego, mm-hmm. whether it's the bar or the diner or wherever you get this great natural light. Well, here they're doing a different lighting. They're doing sort of a night construction site, and the lighting is just as good. Yeah. It's very, I buy right into it. But this is our first encounter with, well, first where the joke comes in. Yes, where that fabulous joke comes in. And this is our first encounter with <laughs> Darren Scott, who's credited here as Man in Tan Suit. So I love his character. Oh, yeah. There are there are several things that kind of play out in this episode that I love because it's just kind of a throwback to that kind of like classic noir, classic, like that's the bad guy, that's the good guy. Mm-hmm. I love how when they go to see Lindis in prison, they can just talk about this stuff just as if he was a smoking lady who came into their office. <laughs> There's no cops around. It's not being recorded. They can just talk about these things. And it doesn't feel like we're just taking us out of this universe that there's this guy who always wears a tan suit yeah. and walks around looking ominous and can see like a fucking hawk. I was going to say, that's like superpower. Like, they just look over, they're watching him in binoculars, and he looks over and he's watching them. It's like a Terminator. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah. And it's amazing to me that although he is this, you know, the way that we're talking about it now, you would think this archetypical bad dude, it doesn't feel like that at all when you're watching it. Right. You totally buy it. When Hank, through his binoculars, is like, oh shit, he sees us. I'm yeah. like, run, bitch, yeah, run! run. <laughs> yeah, that guy's clearly got superpowers. You should get out of there. <laughs> so having done all their investigation, they go back to Josephine Lindis, and we get that beautiful shot of the house. Yes. Learn that she can't pay her AC bill. Ted Griffin, the creator of Terriers, also wrote Ocean's Eleven, also wrote Power Heist. He's a guy who likes heists. Yeah, I, I've heard of those. And you can definitely see this is the heist episode. <laughs> yeah, for whole, sure. She lays out the plan. She lays out the guard and the alarm. There's the talk of what the take is. Like, this is such a classic heist setup. Oh, it's fabulous. Like, she's even got the blueprints yes. for the building because that's also just something that you keep around mm. for sure. And as she's kind of walking them through, like, here's where you enter, here's where the guards are, again, feels totally natural yeah. you're like oh yeah like this this chick is keeping track of their business of their businesses of their buildings and her husband told them to get that money so she's gonna do it i think it's interesting that they sort of make reference to that she saw the videotape obviously saw the sex tape of him banging a 19 year old and is still sticking with him so i know well, as, as, as uh hank points out it must be true love <laughs> and hank's gotta be a little bitter about that <laughs> yeah so before they do the heist, they they discuss whether or not they're going to do it. Britt's really concerned about all the angles, trying to figure it all out. And Hank yeah. is in, like instantly in. I think part of that is Hank's on a case. Yep. The other is Hank's self-destructive. Yes. Hank doesn't give a fuck. No, like, he can't help it. What's the worst thing that's going to happen to Hank? The worst has already happened to Hank. Well, and this is where you see so much about Britt that's great. First of all, how much he loves his best friend, man. Because yeah. Not much, to your point, can go bad for Hank, but also it's not really Hank putting his neck on the line here. It's straight up Brit. And there's times when Hank isn't even really paying attention to all of this. And he's like, hey, man, are you going to... I believe the line is like, hey, man, are you going to come visit me when I'm in federal? Yes. He says, he's he's there. Hank is... uh, Well, the reason he's distracted is because of his sister. Yes. So let's jump back a little bit. Because after they've decided they're going to do it, Hank goes home. We see the mysterious person running for the ceiling. And it turns out... He knows her, and it's his sister, Steph. Ta-da! And early on, he says, so when did you leave the hospital? Mm-hmm. I love how they clue us in on how quickly what the relationship is with Steph and Hank and how that is, because we know that she was in a hospital, and just the way she talks, you can tell she's off. 
Yeah, and crawling into the attic. Well, there is that too. You know, I guess that's a <laughs> big giveaways. But yeah, when I saw that happening at first, I thought maybe somebody had broken into his house. Yeah. Like not a family member, but just somebody who broke into his house and was going to steal shit or use his stuff or something sure. like that. And so, yeah, right away, though, as soon as she pokes her head down, yeah. got it. Yeah. Exactly what's going on. Steph is instantly likable and interesting, instantly interesting because the way she talks how subdued and how closed off she is, it instantly transforms Hank into a character we haven't seen before. Yeah, his level of just care and yeah. awareness, because he is such a self-destructive character, and you see him handle everything either literally careless, like in a careless fashion, or you see him putting on this comedic front to mm -hmm. kind of push people away. Yeah. So to see him so immediately tender was is yeah. pretty endearing. Gentle and sincere. Yeah, it's like, true. Like very much so with her. And you're right. It's it's you don't see that sense of humor. You don't see he's mm -mm. he. You see the concern immediately. Britt shows up, and Steph doesn't know him. And I love how Steph reacts to him. She's like, "Your partner's not black," because <laughs> yeah. she's like, "That's not Gustafson. It's not your partner. What are you talking about?" Her literal way of taking things is both really funny and also you can see how it's so, so quickly going to be a problem for her. Yeah. Yeah. And for Hank with the um, house of cards that he has built yes. for himself. So when later in the episode, she actually is helpful mm -hmm. for helping them get away with some of the, uh, you know, we'll get into that, I suppose, later. Yeah. Things go from bad to worse pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's actually... Steph being there mm -hmm. and her kind of deadpan delivery of things and, and people being like, no, she doesn't mean that. Yeah. That actually gets Hank and buys Hank and Britt some time to yeah. clean up a mess they made. Because Steph, nothing, nothing phases her. Nope. Because she's not all there. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fine. Whatever. Whatever happens. He brings over Katie to take care of Steph. Uh -huh. Katie knows the deal. We talked about that. The Katie knows Steph a little bit. Uh, although Steph's way of talking to Katie is so unbelievably like rude and cruel. Yeah, condescending. Just yeah. straight up condescending. Because Katie, I mean, she's not doing it on purpose and Katie realizes that, but there's that whole, you went to college, didn't you? How did you not know this big word in Scrabble? Yeah. Uh, but I, that was fun stuff. So yes, then we get to the actual heist. They've done a lot of this kind of stuff, little detective tricks where they cheat or they use a, you know, a modified listening device or whatever little detective tricks they do. And so I always like when their plans come together. You were talking about earlier what Hank and Britt are in the truck. And Hank is just kind of sitting there in his own world because Steph has just come back and just crushed his whole world. And Britt is just getting him trying to get into focus. Yeah, because, you know, we haven't really mentioned yet, but in some of the earlier episodes, you might have gathered that Britt has some skills when it comes to breaking and entering. Yeah. And it actually goes far beyond just being able to pick a lock. Yeah. Like, he's a professional. Yeah. And so it's it's really on him to break into this building, pass the guards, pass the patrols, mm -hmm. get into the safe, get the money out, and get it out without anybody seeing him. Not only that, he's got priors. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, he, got, he got out because Hank cut him a break, and he knows that. But it'd be so easy for him to wind up in prison for a long, long time. Yeah. If anybody has any reason to run him, then he's kind of fucked. The two of them are such good friends that even when he's kind of annoyed at Hank for, for not paying attention, he's still, it's sort of a joking way. He does that whole, uh, you're going to visit me in prison. And Hank comes right back with, well, for conjugals. <laughs> we get to see Britt's skills. Mm -hmm. And we see that he's quick to pick locks, that he's got some second story skills. And then weirdly... He doesn't know how to handle an alarm. He just kind of smashes it with a hammer. What What's going on there? Does he not have those skills? No, no. 
As with all good heists. Yeah. It was all um, part of the plan. It, for sure. And I love the way that they handle that. Yes. That like he sets off the alarm on purpose and then changes the phone number and the email so that they call Hank in to fix it because they have to get this money out and everything without anybody realizing. Right. So they can't just do like a smash and grab. What they would really prefer is for nobody to ever know something was there is really kind of the goal because the police already searched this building and didn't find the safe, which is why unlike the rest of Lindis's assets, this money isn't frozen. Yeah. And so the way that they came up with making it seem like nothing ever happened Solid. Really good. It's Hank going in as a tech and telling them he needs to set up the faceplate. And so he gets like the two minutes alone. I don't know about you. Anytime I watch one of these scenes where someone has to break into a computer, these days it's usually putting something on a USB stick or whatever, (laughs) but break into a safe, anything where someone could open the door at any minute. It is twice as tense for me because I could never do that. I'd always be like, oh, I'm going to get caught. I can't do this. I need to know nobody's coming to be able to do that while someone's waiting outside, like, it can all go to shit in a minute. Yeah, both of them um, also super level-headed, yeah. like, completely calm. And while Britt's kind of sneaking around doing his thieving, lock-picking uh, D&D stuff, yes. there are people yeah. in that building. There are patrols, there are cops, and it's just him and a lockpick set in his hoodie, just sort of, like, falling mm-hmm. back in the shadows, being completely quiet. Yeah, he's like a level 30 sneak. <laughs> so the one, the one question I have in this whole heist, because they make a big deal of it, is while Britt Brit goes back to the van and he sees that SUV, mm-hmm. uh, the suspicious SUV that's clearly watching them, or if it's not, it's like maybe like the prison guards where they're trying to give us a sense of menace, even if there's no menace there. Uh-huh. But Hank, he comes out of the, the room having grabbed the money and put it somewhere. They pat him down. They check his toolbox. Where was it? Well, Randy, sometimes when you really need to hide something, you find places that you didn't know were there. I just, I knew they weren't going to catch him, but there's no reveal. Like, I wonder if the reveal got edited out. Like, we don't ever see how yet, unless it's something you can't show on TV. Um, I like to assume it's something that you can't show on TV, but, um, you know, it's sometimes those sorts of things are easiest for easier for us ladies. So <laughs> given that we're talking about Hank, I'm going to say that it was false bottom on his briefcase and that kind of thing. Cause yeah. they gave it a pat down. They looked in it, but they weren't expecting to find anything. That's true. They didn't have to like sneak it past somebody who was like, no, you're trying to smuggle stuff in here. That's true. They yeah. really, it was, they were, they were very begrudging about it. Like they, yeah, they're, par- they're paranoid about this. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. They, they didn't have like, they didn't have a, a, a sniffing dog or anything. No. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing that, um, or in his vagina, like I said, <laughs> one or the man, other, his mangina, his mangina, whatever, wherever that may be for you guys. <laughs> uh, so we get back to the house and we find that Steph has fixed the TV. Yeah. We find out that Steph is a genius. Yeah, um, which comes in handy for them. And so establishing that early that she has, you know, sort of that kind of uh, like autistic sort of skills Mm -hmm. where, you know, she is very callous person to person, not in a mean way, but she just doesn't understand, I think, social graces, but that she is gifted in other ways for sure. We'll see a lot more of that in the next episode. Yeah. So then they've got, they deliver the money to Lindis and they don't deliver the key right away until she asks for it. Yes. Hank knows something is up. Yeah. They give him a name, which is what she promised him. She promised the name of whoever killed Mickey Gosney. Yes. And the name is some dude named William Keeler. He's at a flea bag hotel. He's a heroin dealer. Hank is in full on like shield, the shield mode there. 
going and putting the needle near his eye and threatening with him. <laughs> And finds out... Which that, is a weird side of Hank. Yeah. I did not see needle to someone's eye in him. Yeah. That's fucked up. Well, when someone when someone messes with his friends, Hank yeah. does go a little ballistic. Which is weird, because if he messes with his friends... That's just Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, exactly. It's, it's another classic <laughs> Tuesday. But if somebody else does it... Hank immediately gets out of the guy. The guy is terrified, because there's this weird dude he's never seen before putting a needle in his eye. <laughs> yeah, and, because it's like, I mean, the guy's a heroin addict, but fuck, man. <laughs> so he immediately gives up a uh, man in tan suit. Oh, yeah, immediately. And that puts Hank back on Alindus and Hank is on a tear. When they drive up to the little private airport, it's such a 70s cop moment. Mm-hmm. Like you want Beastie Boys like playing out the speakers as they come in. Because <laughs> they jump all... their car yeah. over the hill. Yeah. It's all it's all gone to shit for Lindus. Like he thought he was in the clear. He thought he was play these guys. Instead, it escalates so quickly. Yeah. And I love the super awesome, back to your kind of point of this being like a 50s, 60s shot. I love the super awesome prop plane yes. kind of like sitting in the background. It's lovely. The wife is there. The kid is there. Yep. Lindis is there. You know, they're about to GTFO. Yep. Everything was going to go like clockwork. Hank was going to get his money. Yet again, <laughs> he could have just let it happen. My favorite thing about this is how Lindis reacts to it. <laughs> yeah. He's so, he's not just angry. He's kind of frustrated. He it's like he got bad customer service from his Uber driver. <laughs> There's this this great line he's yell they're yelling back and forth. It's so good. Do you have any clue what you're doing? Huh? You're killing me. That's what? What was they find out about a jail? I am a dead man. Who are they? Mother Who are they? I paid you twice. I paid you twice. I love it because the the only other time you see this level of exacerbation and a character around Hank, it's either his former partner or his wife. Yes. Where you're just like, holy mother of God, what do you want from me? Just give it a rest, man. What do I have to do to get rid of you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, they just they toss him in the car. They just toss him in the car yeah. and yeah, drive they, away. There was like zero fucks given. <laughs> they didn't even bother looking for a fuck to give. That when they when they go to look at the key and see what the stuff is, it's some kind of papers that they don't understand what it is. And I love that Lindus is still he's not having it. He's just going to make a run for it. And Hank's like, no, no, stop. You d- consider this. You're not going to do it. And he's like, okay. And then just takes off out the back. <laughs> Which, I mean, what are his options? No, I guess, it, it makes but... perfect sense. If I'm Lindis, that's what I'm doing. I'm making a run for it. Yeah. But what I love is we talked about this earlier, how fast Terriers can go from comedy to drama. Yeah. And we already saw so much in this episode that it was difficult to think at this point that we were going to take another huge plot right. turn. Yeah. But we do. Yeah, because this is... So late, much has already happened. We're late in the episode. Yeah. This is something that Nate and I talked about in the previous episode. You get to like the last five or ten minutes of Terriers, and you're like, oh, okay. So we're going to what the, the sort of the rising action's done. We hit the yeah. climax. Now sort of the denouement, you know, quiet. Oh, no, there's another big twist, another big story coming with five, ten minutes left. Yeah, you basically figure he's either getting on the plane or going back to jail. Yeah. And they're going to call it a day. Instead, like, yeah. <laughs> he's going to be hit by a car. Some poor Spanish-speaking guy who is never going to know the end of this story hit this guy with a car, and that's it. Yeah, and he's like, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So they send they send this poor guy off that that is trying to be, you know, he's like, what do I do? And they're like, no, no, he's fine. He's all right. Lindis is not fine. No, Lindis is far from fine. Yeah. And the dude who hit him knows it. And he's yeah. like, well, what do we do? And Hank is obviously just trying to get rid of this yeah. guy. But this guy, mm-hmm. I mean, that would be, a, as we find out, a very serious hit and run. Yes. And that dude is just trying to do the right thing. Yep. 
and Hank and Lindis are having none of it. And yeah. that poor dude is just getting the shaft. He's yeah. just like, guys, this is a serious problem. Yeah. I mean, that guy's probably lucky not to be dragged into this more. But in some way, Hank would have turned him into a heroin addict by the end of the third day. So. Yeah, that poor guy would have taken the fall for something, man. <laughs> but Lindis, I love the way that this actor, uh, Christopher Cousins, plays Lindis's injury. Because he plays him kind of punch drunk. Yeah. And you can tell just how bad off he is and how much he wants to not be that bad off. Like the throwing up in the sink and the sort of dazed, almost falling asleep kind of thing. Like he is a very believably concussed dying man. I also like that while this is going on, Hank is still kind of pushing him for information. Yeah. And he's trying to deliver, I think, just to sort of stay with it. Yeah. But um, it's interesting because a little bit back to Hank's uh, moral neutrality, I mean, this dude is in a bad way, and yeah. his primary concern is getting out whatever information he can. That's true. And in the end, it, I mean, it's a good thing because it was uh, they were on a ticking timer there. Yeah, there was not a lot of time to get information no. on Lindus. The other thing is, Hank wrote off Lindus in the first episode. That's Very true. early on, like after they met him, he hated him at first because he hates the rich guy. Yeah. And then he killed his friend. So Hank does not give a fuck about Lindus. He does not care at all what happens to him. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a little bit cold. Yeah, well, because I mean, it's one thing to conceptually not give a shit about somebody, want them to rot in prison, because yeah. to be fair, he deserves that. Yeah. And to look a dying man in the eyes and just pump him for information. Yeah. Like, he's, that's pretty hardcore. He's not, he's not human to Hank. To Hank, he's just a, he's just something for information. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a side of Hank that we'll see again and again where Hank, in the end for the most part, is out for Hank. Yeah. All the chips fall where they may. They're essentially, Hank is going to be out for Hank. Which is great because I love how much I like that character. Yeah, me too. Because when I sit here and I kind of think about those things, I'm like, man, the more I sit here and think about it, the more I think about how fucked up that is. Yeah. But I really like Hank. Yeah. I really like Hank a lot. Yeah, you wouldn't want to know him in real life, probably. But I relate to Hank as a character. I <laughs> yeah, love me Hank. me too. <laughs> So, as always, when things are going bad, Gustafson shows up. He always shows up at the worst possible time when these guys do not need him there. And this is, again, another bit of those little tension I talked about earlier with the safe and, like, there's people right outside and the tension of, you know, are they going to come in any minute? There's a dead dude in the in the bathroom. Yeah. So, Lindis expires. Yeah. Rip. And <laughs> um, at that moment, Hank's partner shows up. Yeah asking what the fuck is going on yeah and hank is like nothing why and he's like where's lindis he's like i don't know why and he's like well because the wife says you have him and he's yeah. like no of course she said that he was like well no, that's what i thought until the son said the same yeah. thing this is another one of those cases where i want to know is gustafson supposed to know that hank's lying here because i think he does i think he knows that hank knows what he's telling yeah but i also think he doesn't entirely believe the lindises he knows that they've got a reason to be pissed at hank so i think he's doing what gustafson does which is trying to be neutral about the information and trying to get the story but he knows hank isn't telling the full truth for sure yeah so as soon as he walks around the house and they come up with this idea that Britt's been sick in the yes. bathroom and he opens the door and there is vomit and it probably smells terrible. And, yeah. and he's on the toilet. He's like, OK, fine. 
Yeah. And so he bails. I don't think that he thinks there's a dead Lindis in the bathtub. No. But there's he, no way he'd yeah. leave if he thought it. Yeah. But he for sure thinks Hank knows something. Yeah. That's another case of one of the things that Brit and Hank have, one of their skills together, is that they improv well together. Mm-hmm. Usually Hank says something and Britt picks up on it and goes along with it. Because we saw in episode two when it was the uh, where thugs looking for, for money uh-huh. and they like, you know, bash up the hippie's house. Like Britt goes right along with it, just gets right into character. And in episode one, when Linda asks what their daily rate is and they both just jump in. Like these guys are good at lying together, too, <laughs> which is probably not a good thing. But it is one of the things that makes them interesting partners. Yeah, it is fun because it really is like that sort of nerdy yes and game except yes. they're actually good at it <laughs> like good things actual or bad i guess depending on who you ask things do come from it you're just kind of like damn and they're usually using it to cover up some kind of crime yeah well and it also makes it believable that as they're cruising around in their truck these two guys are really that witty like they <laughs> yeah. are just constantly on yeah they're they're quick yeah and- they are just so quick one thing I want to jump back to is Gustafson sees Steph here when he comes in the house. Uh-huh. I love the actor who plays Gustafson, and when she calls in the black one, yeah. his the look on his face, this sort of "What did you just say?" along with the amusement, that's like a great mixed of mixed emotion. Yeah, yeah, he's like, "You got to be fucking kidding me!" <laughs> and then like his reaction to her because yeah. she's just sort of like, "Oh yeah, they're upset, you know, dead guy or whatever," yeah. and he's just like, uh, "Sure, Steph." Um, anyways, yeah, <laughs> like. Yeah. And, and I think it plays, it helps them yeah. because he's willing to leave and kind of takes her at face value and is then a little bit more sympathetic to Hank on a personal level, offers right. to leave a patrol with her. Yeah. It kind of redirects him a little bit, yeah. which is definitely what they needed because Lindis was dead in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. They could have yeah, been in sure. real trouble there. Yeah, I, I think murder is yeah. still yeah. illegal. It's, it's like I don't in California I'm not sure. I'm not hundred <laughs> percent. So let's go ahead and bring episode four, Fuster Cluck, to an end right here. Uh, thanks, Ashley, for being my guest on this episode, and thanks for joining me on such a fun ep. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, Crazy Sister, Man in the Tan Suit, and Dead Body in the Bathroom. Yep, ain't we got fun. Beach Cop Detectives is an independently run podcast co-produced by Randy Lander and Grant Davis from the TV Dudes and part of the Permanent Record Network. Music for this series includes the surf music tracks Happy and Whimsical by Paul Tyann. To hear more of his work, go to soundcloud.com slash Paul Tyann. Artwork for the show is by Nate Bliss. You can find him at n8bliss-art.tumblr.com. You can like us on Facebook at Beach Cop Detectives and on Twitter at Beach Cop Podcast. You can hear weekly TV commentary by Randy and Grant at thetvdudes.com. Thanks for listening.